time now for The Week That Was, your definitive source for political news where we delve into the headlines, dissect the debates, and analyze the events that shaped the past seven days. And today, I guess we're going to look at what's going to shape 2024. And most importantly, we'll look at what it all means for you. Joining me now is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Hello, Keith. Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners. And Merry Christmas to you as well. Lots to talk about uh, because what is happening right now is going to impact 2024. Uh, perhaps let's start um, just your thoughts overall on where the NDP is in regards to polling and, and what you think they're sort of uh, looking at, thinking about heading into 2024. Oh, I think they're in a very comfortable spot. That certainly was reflected in David Evie's um, all the year-end interviews he's been doing. Very comfortable. He's riding high in the polls. Um, again, not much, I think, to worry about on the horizon, but, you know, the election's in October, unless it occurs sooner. And things can go wrong very quickly. You never know. Um, but I don't think there's any reason for them to be overly worried about their electoral chances. One of the clues to look for, and we're seeing this right now on the other side of the spectrum, is there's a number of MLAs in the VC United Caucus who have suddenly announced they're not running again, mm-hmm. uh, well ahead of the next election. I think we're up to six now. Um, I think we've got one new Democrat talking in and talking to some people in the upper levels of government, pointing out that perhaps some of the veterans who may have otherwise been thought to have re- be retiring in the NDP side may run again because the pro- if the prospects of them going into government are very high, that's a very uh, enticing thing to put in front of a politician, not to be running to go into opposition, which is a thankless task, which I think is reflected in some of the retirements on the United side. Mm-hmm. If it, Looking like you're going to be in opposition, that's not a very attractive place to be, especially if you've been in government before. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a telling thing to, to keep an eye on as we go into 2024. MLA's intentions, whether they run again, will reflect, I think, on their own view of their party's re-election chances. Uh, let's touch on uh, the centre-right side of, of politics, the BC United, uh, the Conservative Party of BC. Uh, one of them is the official opposition, but the other one, in this case, um, the BC Conservatives, are riding high in the poll. They're uh, placing second at this particular point. What do you see with this? Is there any chance of them in 2024 getting together and uniting? I, I don't see how. I mean, the egos at play here in terms of the people involved, um, the personal pride. I just can't see Kevin Falcon suddenly taking a step back and letting John Rustad run a merged party. And likewise, I can't see John Rustad taking a step back uh, and letting Kevin Falcon run a merged party. I mean, he was booted out by Falcon. There's some personal animosity there, I think. Um, also, there's there's competing philosophies. I mean, John Rustad is espousing things that are completely out of step with what many members of the BC United Caucus believe in. So I don't. I think these are not two parties that share the same views. It's two parties that have very significant differences, and I don't see them getting together because of policy and because of personalities. It's just. Uh, but if they don't do that. It's going to be fascinating to see how the year plays out. So are the Conservatives just this flash in the pan? Or can their um, strength and growing numbers be sustained throughout the year? It was interesting. Kevin Falcon gave an interview to Canadian Press reporter Dirk Meisner um, this week in which he called the polls, in his words, the polls are BS, which suggests he doesn't believe what's going on. 
that or what the polls seem to suggest what's going on, which a number of people in his own party think is going on, which is the tr- public opinion is out there moving around and away from his party. So that, that was a very telling comment, I think, and it doesn't bode well necessarily coming into the new year for them. Well, I think the BC Conservatives got about 2% of the vote last time in the last provincial election, and well, that can't do tremendous amount of damage. It can have impact in certain ridings. If that support is at 5 or 7%, that's going to do a lot of damage. But when they're sitting at 25%, if you, let's just say they're able to sustain this, and I, I agree with Kevin Falcon, I don't think they'll be able to sustain it, but at the same time, even if they remain and they drop down to 15% or 10%, that has a huge impact on BC United's chances, yeah. number one. And, and, if, and if they do sustain it, what and everything falls apart and the NDP are re-elected, what does the free enterprise movement look like moving forward? Well, the Free Enterprise Coalition, which used to be the Social Credit Party for, for a number of years, then became the BC Liberals. Um, so they fell apart, the coalition, in 1991. It took 10 years to rebuild that coalition to the point coalition to the point of getting re-elected into government. Uh, they almost got elected in 1996, but they couldn't quite get the coalition together, and, and therefore the NDP squeaked in with with actually fewer popular votes. So this can be a time cons- can be a time-consuming process. So the coalition seems to have fallen apart in the past year. So is it going to take 10 years to rebuild it? Perhaps not, but you know, the history shows it does take time. It's, it can't be done in a short time, unless there's some sort of miracle comeback here by a party that no one's really heard of, BC United. Um, it's it's going to take some time for that coalition to rebuild. I think that's going to be one of the dominant stories of 2024, mm-hmm. political stories, is watching how that side of the ledger regroups and reforms itself, or if it can, or if it just remains split throughout the entire year until we get to the election. It's a fascinating thing to see in BC politics, and we haven't seen it since 1991. Yeah. Um, now, we spent so much time talking about the government itself, or we talk about the challenges with uh, the BC United and, and BC Conservatives. We don't spend a lot of time talking about the BC Green. So what, what what are the chances for them? I you know they were they had a certain profile under their pr- previous leader Andrew Weaver. It's a different time now under Sonia First to know uh, what do you, what are they thinking right about now? Oh, I don't think they're in a good spot. I mean, again, going back to the polls, the other story no one talks about is the collapse of the Green vote. You know, it's been cut in half in poll after poll after poll. Uh, they've got two MLAs. Um, not sure where Sonia Furstenow is going to run the party leader. Rumor has it she's not going to run in the riding she currently has. May run in the new riding just out here in the outer skirts, outskirts of the capital. She hasn't made her announcement yet. The one glimmer of hope for the Greens is they almost won the West Vancouver Sea to Sky riding mm-hmm. last time. I actually finished second, uh, Jordan Sturdy. Well, Jordan Sturdy just announced he's not running again. So that takes away the incumbency advantage from the BC United Party. And if the Green Party vote can hold from what it saw in 2020, that puts that seat uh, in the crosshairs for them, and it's a potential pickup. But beyond that, hard to see the Greens really having an impact, like they did in 2017 when they basically held the balance of power. Um, hard to see that play out in current electoral map. And plus, you throw in the fact we're adding six more seats, most of which favor the NDP. Uh, the, I think the Greens will continue to struggle. We are speaking to Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative uh, Bureau Chief. Uh, we're looking at the year ahead to a certain degree because so much of 
of uh, what's going to be occurring, what is occurring right now is going to impact 2024, especially with the BC United, BC Conservative. We talked about the NDP government. We talked about the Greens. Uh, Keith, uh, I want to ask you about this housing policy. I know legislation was introduced. Uh, some mayors weren't happy. Others have said it's a one-size-fit-all. We're not, uh, it doesn't fit, it doesn't work for our community, whether it's Langley um, District or Langley Township, sorry, uh, Surrey or Richmond. Others have said they like it. I mean, how, what do you expect to, to happen in 2024, especially with the housing minister and some mayors already articulating that they're not happy with the policy? Well, it's an election year. Uh, I don't think the NDP government wants to pick a lot of fights with a lot of uh, municipalities, particularly in vote-rich areas and important areas where they, Langley, for example, where they had a historic breakthrough to win those two seats last time, and now there's a third seat being added to Langley. Surrey's the pivotal uh, classic BC battleground for ridings. Um, so it remains to be seen how this plays out. It's a very ambitious plan. Uh, it's got a lot of moving parts, and you're right. Some mayors like it, some mayors don't. Um, but we're not going to see it necessarily be implemented in rapid fashion. I think there's going to be some breathing room here for mayors and councils to adjust. Uh, you've, we've had Richard Stewart on recently, Mayor Coquitlam, pointed out uh, some councils literally, or, or municipalities, um, city halls, literally don't have enough staff to implement some of this stuff on a, on a rapid basis, on a very immediate basis. So it's going to take some time for this to shake out. The, the first uh, impact is going to be felt already, we're already seeing it, short-term rentals are suddenly being on the market, uh, being sold, because mm-hmm. uh, they can't be rented out anymore. They have to be long-term, long-term purchases. So that already seems to be having an impact. But some of the zoning changes... Um, and building your rapid transit lines, I think that's going to take some time to play. And given again, given this is an election year, I think uh, there's going to be slow progress. Even the government's own finance ministry mm-hmm. does not project, they actually project fewer housing starts in the coming year than this year. Not a, not a heck of a lot fewer, but um, significantly fewer starts. And, and so that's, uh, that's a big impact as well. Let's go to uh, Rob in Chilliwack. Hi, Rob. Good afternoon, Jazz. Hello, Keith. Um, you know, I heard you say, Jess, and I think Keith agreed with you, that you, you don't feel the Conservatives can maintain their momentum. You know, I disagree with you 100% coming from a former NDP uh, member and a, uh, now a Conservative member. The NDP, I listened to Mike Smith's show yesterday morning, your colleague there, Jazz, mm-hmm. and I heard that interview with David Eby. You know, the guy, I'm sorry, but it's true. If you listen to the interview, he blatantly lies. He says John Rusta is an anti-vaxxer. Not true. Not true. He's anti-vaccine mandate. Anti-vaccine mandate. He said he's a climate denier. He's not a climate denier. He, he knows. He admits the climate is changing. He talks about, you know, we're carbon-based beings. He's, he owns up to what he says. Rob, I, feel, I, think- I feel John Rustad is a straight shooter, and, and uh, I, think, I think they are on, we are on a track here to... Uh, to do very, very well. And the NDP oh, are going to have right, a Rob, lot. All right, we got your point, Rob. Thank you. Thank you so much. We get it. Oh, I mean, Rob may be uh, absolutely correct. I mean, certainly right now, the momentum is more with the BC Conservatives than BC United. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, does that momentum continue? And so can they take a, a finding of 25%? In, and again, public opinion polls have been very accurate in projecting, predicting and forecasting the election wins in a whole bunch of provinces and American states and U.S. elections. So they've, they've refined their techniques. So anybody suggests, like Kevin Falcon, the, full, the, the polls are fake. Don't understand what's been going on in polling and politics for the last decade. 2013, 
stands out as a big miss by pollsters, and that's true. It was a big miss, but since then they've been very accurate. So, but again, if the polls reflect a growing resurgence of support for the VC Conservatives that starts approaching 30% and 35%, I think that, and I've said this before, that could trigger an early election by the NDP. If they're worried about a rise in what that political party, which is the absolute opposite of them, that could trigger an early vote. I'm not saying it will. Yeah. David Eby isn't saying it will, but I certainly heard a lot of senior people in the NDP government voice their view that that might be required from their point of view. And let's not forget, as we get closer to the election, the questions are going to be much more focused towards Mr. Rustad. He's got a bit of a, he's had a bit of a free pass, and that's fine. And there's confusion over names uh, with the federal conservatives. He's living off that. Uh, but as we get closer to the election, there's going to, they're going to be much more focused and the the public will be paying attention a lot more than they do right now when it comes to politics. It seems to be leaning to the social conservative side, and that just doesn't get it done in terms of forming government in this province. It doesn't play well in Burnaby, Surrey, the North Vancouver and Vancouver, there's a whole bu- or the capital, there's a whole bunch of writings there that just are not going to be social conservatives. Exactly. Now, speaking of immigration and, and just change, Pierre Pauly was on the show uh, on Monday, and I, I asked him about immigration. What would he do? Because it's become such an issue. I just had Brad West on the show uh, at 3 o'clock talking about the immigration levels being just too high and the impact it's having on communities. I asked Pierre Pauly, what would he do? Uh, take a listen to his comments, Keith. We need to link immigration numbers to the number of houses that have been built in the preceding years and the number of doctors that have been added to the health care system. Humans need health care and housing. It doesn't matter where they're from. So if we're bringing people here we have, we have, to increase our population, we have to have increased our housing stock and our health care resources by an equal or greater amount. Uh, and so we need to link the federal immigration targets to the amount of health care and housing available. And that's what my election platform will specify when we run for election uh, in, the, in the years ahead. So he's linking uh, immigration numbers to how many doctors in a community and how many houses did you build uh, well, last year? I, I think the bigger issue, immigration just playing a bigger and bigger role in a conversation, not just federally, provincially, and now municipally as well. Yeah, so when you bring in 500,000 new arrivals every year, most of them are located in specific areas, and generally those are urban areas. It's not like everyone's moving to Dawson Creek. Uh, the three areas in BC are Metro Vancouver, the Central Okanagan, and the Capital Region. Those are the three areas receiving the, the huge pressure when it comes to a lack of housing and when it comes to a lack of doctors. Now, it's interesting, he's not the first guy to talk about linking immigration to housing, um, but throwing in family doctors... Not sure if that's really going to work, considering there's relatively few family doctors being added to the list every year to keep track with the huge population growth. Uh, and again, he it's an interesting concept, but I'd like to see his formula, exactly how many immigrants are tied to how much housing. You know, right now it's 500,000 here. Does he take it down to 300,000, 200,000? What's the number? Mm-hmm. And he's going to be pressed for that deal. So it's, it's an interesting policy framework, but let's plug a formula in there to see what numbers he's really talking about. Yeah, I look forward to, to, to him providing more information as we get closer to a federal election. Keith, we've run out of time. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy New Year, and we'll chat uh, in 2024. Merry Christmas to you and everyone listening. Take care.